been looking at details of the cross in John chapter 19, and now we're coming to the next step in God's progression in our understanding and who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. Chapter 20 speaks of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we need to see the progression as it goes. We've got the Old Testament. And we have the prophecies concerning Christ in the Old Testament. And Jesus needed to fulfill all of those prophecies. It's what John was saying, these things I have written that you may have, that you may believe. Well, part of what he has written is the fulfillment of prophecies by Jesus Christ. And so Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Now I'm not going to go through all the prophecies concerning Christ. I'm just going to kind of use that one as a key prophecy. But he had to be born of a virgin. Now so many others, but he fulfilled all of these things in detail. Why? So that we would know that that person who was crucified upon the cross truly was Messiah. There was the ministry of teaching, preaching, and healing. This teacher that taught as no other did, he who proclaimed salvation through his death upon the cross and healing as, well, it just lent towards that Jesus Christ is truly God of all. It was three years that Christ ministered that are the center of the Gospels. And then we saw, again, in detail, chapter 19, his death, because that was prophesied. It was something that needed to happen. We know that he was paying the price for our sins. And now we see the resurrection. A chain is only as strong as its individual links, and all of these links have been sealed by the hand of God. They've been strengthened throughout time in the course of history that we would understand the reality of what has happened so that we can look in the future and understand what is still to happen, and it just shows the reality of Christ. The things that are still to happen, well, still to happen as far as where we're at in the gospel, still his ascension, and then the sending of the Holy Spirit. But we know still to happen in our lives is going to be the rapture, the tribulation, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Those are the highlights, so many more things to happen. But just as surely as what God said was going to happen, has happened, what he said is going to happen, you can rest assured it is going to happen. So been kind of looking at this particular dynamic through each of our studies in 19, and it plays out into chapter 20. It goes from the crucifixion to the resurrection, death, Jesus's death upon the cross. He had to die if he was doing what the scripture said that he did. What did he do? He took the sins of the world upon him. You have God for the very first time and all of eternity past from that point for all eternity past, feeling the effects of sin. That's why Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was feeling that separation from the Father that sin brings. And so since he received the sins of the world upon him, well, what's the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death. And so for the very first time, God could possibly die. Why? Because again, he had the sin upon him. So really, you kind of look at that two ways, double-edged, however you want to describe it, that we understand, oh, he died because he had our sin. But because he had our sin, he died and paid the price. And you, so you see all of that, but then you can look at that and say, well, you know, how many people died of a crucifixion? There were quite a few. Well, that's why it was necessary to have the resurrection, because death could not hold him. Because so many people died because they, had, they were sinners, and as they died, they were just paying the price for their sin. 
But now here's something very unique. Here's the only one in history who's come back to life, who has taken sin upon him, has died because of that, but achieved victory. When we say he achieved victory over death, in actuality what we're saying is he achieved victory over sin. Because the only way that you can achieve victory over death is to achieve victory over sin. And so really what God is doing through the resurrection, he's validating what has been, what, what Jesus Christ accomplished upon the cross. And it's because of that that we rejoice. We set this time of the resurrection Sunday across, uh, uh, apart for, for the worshiping of the Lord and rejoicing what happened. But in actuality, we rejoice every day because of the resurrection of the Lord. So the doctrine of the resurrection, it's central to who Jesus Christ is. It's the basis of what a Christian church is to be. Matter of fact, if you do not believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, then in actuality, you are not a Christian. And in actuality, if you're not a Christian, then you are not saved. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile or of no use to you. You are still in your sins. If Jesus Christ remained dead, then on what basis do you call yourself a Christian? And why would you even want to be one? Because if Jesus Christ remained dead, that means that he was paying the price for his own sin. And and death achieved victory over him as it did so many others. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no advocate to intercede for us and we are dead in our own sins and trespasses. And then you would have to even question who Jesus really was if he was not resurrected. Was he just one other person who claimed to be the Messiah when actuality he was not? The doctrine of resurrection is critical. It was the cornerstone of the Lord's teaching. In Mark chapter 8 verse 31 And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. If you just leave it off and be killed, then there's the edge of despair that he has fallen over. But then there's the great hope that Christ, a great hope back then, a reality as we look back today that Jesus was going to be resurrected. It was the illustration of his earthly ministry as well. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. If you look through the book of Acts, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the basis of every sermon that was given. Why? Because you can't just leave it off at the death of Christ. John couldn't just leave off his gospel at the death of Christ because it's the resurrection that lends proof to everything previous to chapter 20. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Old Testament scriptures are full of holes and the New Testament is not true. If Jesus was not resurrected, then there is going to be no resurrection of believers. And all of our beliefs are no different than any other belief of any other false religion. It's all built upon the found, all false religions are built upon the foundation of men's graves. My wife and I were at the tomb of Christ in Israel. We walked in and it was empty. It was empty. Nobody was there. Well, a bunch of tourists were there and a bunch of tourists had been there. I don't even know if that was actually the tomb of Christ. It doesn't matter because we worship a living God. 
we fall upon our knees before our living Messiah because he was resurrected from the dead. We're not going and visiting a cemetery somewhere. We're not collecting relics from a dead body, but we're worshiping before our living God. But with the resurrection, our beliefs are set apart in truth, built upon the foundation of the one who today sits in the heavens in the dwelling place of God at the right hand of the Father, again, ever living to make intercession for us all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and really it's Paul's discourse on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 12 through 20 it says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is, now, now Paul is just going through this in a very logical way of thinking. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. That would only go to fall. If resurrection is not possible, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. We have no real hope. Verse 15, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. If, this does, if the dead do not rise, then he's basically saying, we're false prophets, we're false teachers. The, the Bible is not the word of God, and it is false as well. Verse 16, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. So he's hammering the point home. Verse 17, and if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, if he has not in fact been risen from the dead, we are of all men the most pitiful. We're wasting all of our time. We've got no reason and purpose in this life if Christ is not risen from the dead. But then in verse 20 he says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When we studied 1 Corinthians, we saw the first fruits. The first fruits spoke of the first with many more to come. And so Jesus was the first risen from the dead with many more that were to follow. And again, it's the great hope that we all have within us that one day, yes, I am going to die because sin does have an effect upon us even today, but we have the victory in our lives of Jesus Christ who has overcome our sin and the same God that raised him from the dead will one day raise us from the dead and we will forever be living with him. So, are believers in Jesus Christ a living monument to a dead fraud or a living testimony to the love and power of God? And again, he has the resurrection and he appeared to many people. But he didn't just leave it at that. He ascended up into heaven so that we know that our Redeemer lives. Again, he ever lives to make intercession. But in order to prove that he arrived at that destination, he sent the Holy Spirit. And as we see the proof and the reality of the Holy Spirit, it lends towards all the reality of all that we've been talking about that centers upon the resurrection of Christ. He says, if I go away, I will send that helper. He went away, he ascended into heaven, and he did send the helper. That's the Holy Spirit that ministered to you in an unsafe state. It's the Holy Spirit that came and dwelt inside of you upon your salvation. It's the Holy Spirit that has come upon you for the purpose of the work of ministry. It's the reality of the Holy Spirit. As you see the Spirit move, 
within you, through you, and into the life of somebody else, you realize, that wasn't me. That was God working through me. All of this is proof of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if the Lord wasn't resurrected, then none of that would really come to pass because the word's not true. There's no power in the gospel. There's no Holy Spirit. And we're just playing a big game here. But because Christ was resurrected, we see the reality and we see the truthfulness of it all. Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. On the day that he died, and there's a debate, was it on a Thursday or a Friday? It just really doesn't matter, and so we don't get into those kinds of discussions. But on the day that he died, Jesus was laid in his tomb real close to about 6 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, we looked at that. He died at about 3 o'clock, and he was removed from the cross the same day. The scripture tells us that the body is not to be left until the next day. Or it was also the Passover, and there was a Sabbath, and they were not to leave the body on the cross until then. So they came and asked Pilate if they could remove the body. And 6 o'clock in the afternoon, 6 o'clock in the evening, that would be the timeline when the next day starts. After 6 o'clock, the next day would start. So he was taken down off the cross before 6 o'clock in the evening. This being the case, Jesus was hastily buried. Because again, they wouldn't do any work on the Sabbath. What was the penalty for doing work on the Sabbath? It was death. So they had to get him down off that cross. They had to put him into the tomb. And they just did with the spices what was necessary to preserve the body, or at least the decomposing body, just to take care of it and to deal with it until the women can come. It seems to be a job that women did, that the women would come and they would permanently prepare the body for, well, just for the purposes of, of burial, or at least entombment here. At least that's what they thought. And so Jesus was hastily buried. So it's on the very first Easter Sunday that these ladies, and it is plural, were coming to finish the job. It's before dawn. The ladies were told if you would go and you do a study throughout all of the Gospels. We have Mary Magdalene, as we just saw here. Mary, the wife of Clophus, we've seen her before. Salome, this is Jesus' aunt, the mother of John and James. Joanna, and it even says, and others. So there was a group of them that were going to do the job. Um, why a group of them? Very possibly they may have thought that they would need to move away the stone, so they brought extra help with them. Uh, the body would be heavy and having to turn it and to prepare it, and so they were prepared to do the work that they were called to do at this time. Now Mary Magdalene obviously either does not know of I bet she probably does know of it, but as with the rest of the apostles, doesn't really understand, doesn't really get or even believe in the resurrection. Either way, she's there to do what she knows she needs to do. The resurrection at this point doesn't even seem to be entering into her mind because she's fully expecting to have a body that needs to be prepared for its entombment. Since the resurrection is so essential to our faith, what I want to look at in the remaining verses tonight, verses 3 through 18, is two ways in which the risen Lord is revealed and the truthfulness of his resurrection becomes known. 
two ways that worked back then, even on this day, to these people who were unexpected, two ways that continues to work in our lives, worked in our lives at the point of salvation, but continues to work in our lives every moment of our Christian life. That in these two different ways that I can continue to observe who Christ is, the reality of his resurrection, and continue to grow in my faith, I would say these ways are essential that they continue to work in our lives. So first, Mary comes to Peter and John with this news, and right away an investigation is launched. And I use that terminology very purposefully. Verse 3, Peter therefore went out, so... I'll start at verse 2. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple who Jesus loved. This would be the apostle John. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. She thinks they stole the body. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple being younger, John being younger, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looked in saw. So that's the first word that I have underlined here, and I'm going to be looking at that word three times here, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed, for as they did not know the scriptures which he must, or that he must rise again from the dead, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. What I want to look at here is the facts to understand and know that the Lord's direction has, a resurrection has occurred. And we are able to examine these facts. Matter of fact, the Bible invites you to examine the facts. Matter of fact, the Bible, how does it present itself? If you look at the first page, it's presenting itself as a fact. And when something is presented as a fact, it's inviting you to come in. And it's inviting you to examine it, to understand it, to question it, so that you would be able to believe it. The Bible starts out, in the beginning, God. It's not saying, well, this is what we would like you to believe, or or just consider... No, it's stating the fact, in the beginning, God. And so there's got to be something here. There's got to be something here that, upon examination, would lend towards the truth of what happened. And and really what I want to do is look and see what happened. And and that's the key word, because three times, verse 5, the word saw, verse 6, the word saw, and verse 8 the word saw. And each of those words are a different word in the Greek. The first occurrence of it in verse 5 is belepo, the second is theorio, and the third is idon. This is the only place in the scriptures that all three forms occur within the same context. How do we know what the context is? Well, each paragraph is a separate context, a separate thought, or a separate idea. How do you know what the paragraphs are? Well, in chapter 20, the first letter, now, the N, is in bold letters. Or if you want to back up verse 38 of the previous chapter, that 38 is in a bold letter. It's darker than all of the other numbers, is what I should say. 
And so every time that you see, and if you look throughout the, 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 the chapters and the verses, every time you see one of the verses in a bold, printed in bold, that means it's starting a new paragraph, hence it's starting some kind of new general idea. So we're switching over to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so in chapter 20, verse 1, it doesn't have the number in my particular book, this is the editor's, but the N is bold, and so that tells me we've started a new chapter. And if you go all the way through the next um, not a new chapter, I'm sorry, a new paragraph. The next paragraph starts in verse 11. My 11 is in bold. And so that tells me in verses 1 through 10, there's a main thought and a main idea here. Contained within that is the word saw. And again, it is in three separate Greek words that give us understanding of what is being spoken of here. And so the first occurrence of the word saw is in verse 5, blepo, which is a Greek word, which speaks of the physical act of seeing. Verse 5, and he stooped down and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, and he did not go in. And so if you would talk to John, what did you see? He would just tell you what I saw. Hey, I went in there and I didn't see a body and I, I saw the linen cloths and, and they were just kind of lying there. And so he didn't go into any more depth than that. This is the act of light reflecting and bouncing off the retina of John's eye, if you will, and him seeing these, these, these things that were there. All the things you see. I mean, how many things do you see, but not really? You know, you, you, as, you, as you go about, you, you, you may not have noticed a few things as you came in. Um, even into the fellowship area. As I came in, I, I was out talking to the parking lot guys, and everything kind of looked the same, and I kind of saw everything that was there without even really thinking, because I see it every day, but then I saw one thing that maybe you didn't notice. I saw chocolate syrup on the hospitality table. I'm thinking, I wonder if we're having Sundays tonight. I wonder if we're having ice cream tonight. I wonder what hospitality is going to be tonight. Because, see, it, it was a little bit more than bolepo. It was seen with, with some understanding or investigating anyway. And so there are people even today who see Jesus, they see Christ in you, but they don't really pay attention. But they do see, they may not acknowledge him, you know, in you or whatever, but they see. When you go to the mall, you see a whole bunch of people. And who'd you see while you're at the mall? Nobody. Well, that's not true in actuality. You saw, you know, 1,000 people or whatever it might be. Go to the football game. Who'd you see at the football game? Nobody. Well, there were 60,000 people there. But you didn't, you know, you just saw, but you didn't really see. Well, then we come to the next occurrence in verse 6. It says, And Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. This is the word theorio. This is the examination of something, the scrutinization of something. It's where we get the word theory. He, you know, John, what did you see? Well, I just saw some cloths and well, let me go, let me check this out. And so now, now Peter, he's looking and he's looking very closely. As I said before, he's doing an examination. He's going a little bit deeper than John just to see and turn around. Well, he's not there. Let's go. Go. No, wait a minute. Let's see what's happened here. Was the body stolen? Because Peter does know of the teachings that the Lord has given of the resurrection. And when you hear, you know, they, they didn't get it a lot. But when you hear directly from the Lord's mouth, especially teaching on the resurrection, it's going to at least stay in the back of your mind. 
how, how do you go about Jesus, hearing Jesus teach that he's going to die and be resurrected and completely ignore it? Seems like they've done that, but I don't think they totally, completely have done that. And so what he does, he sees the cloths as if they've collapsed around where a body had been. He sees the handkerchief, and it's not just thrown around, it's kind of folded neatly in the corner. What he's doing is what an investigator does. He's examining the clues. And then we go over to verse 8. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, this is John, went in also, and he saw and believed. This is Iden, the Greek word, and so now he's seen even so much more clearly. He's seen now with understanding. And so John gets there first. Looks, just sees the stuff, nobody walks out. What'd you see? Nothing. And so Peter goes, well, you didn't see nothing. He went in there. Hey, there's... there's the cloths and and it's just lying there it's not like somebody tore it off and and there's the cloth that 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 traditionally goes over the face and and that's folded off to the side and so Peter's making his examination if somebody came in here to steal a body I mean I know if it was me I'd go in there I'd tear off that and tear off the cloth that's over his face pick up the body and get out of there I mean remember John doesn't talk about it but there were Roman guards outside So they're not going to go in there and do diligence and being neat and all. They're going in there to grab the body. And so he's making this examination. Keep in mind, they're aware of the resurrection in the back of their mind. And now John, well, Peter, what did you see? Well, you know, I saw this and I saw that. And you go, oh, wait, the resurrection of the Lord. Now John goes in there and now he's going to come to a conclusion here. He's going to, after he sees these things and makes an evaluation, now John is going to come to an understanding It's kind of if you came upon a crime scene and you saw a dead body and a gun. That would be Balepo. Then you would see that the gun was fired and the body, it's got a a wound from the gun. That would be Theorio. And then putting it all together because there's somebody there and they got gun residue on their hands. Then you would see what has happened with understanding. Verse 8, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw, or Iden saw with understanding. And now when you see Jesus Christ with understanding, when you become aware of the resurrection with understanding, what does that lead to? may not lead everybody there, but now John has come to believe. He said he was going to be resurrected, and he was. Now keep in mind, this goes a little bit deeper with John, because John was there at the cross of Christ. Nobody else was there. John was there, and John looked up into the eyes of love, and he saw Christ upon the cross. He saw Jesus as he took sin upon himself. He saw Jesus as he died, and now he's come to the realization of the resurrection. What we've talked about a little bit earlier, this is coming to fruition in John's life. I saw that the Lord took sin upon him. Because he did that, he died. But because he was able to overcome sin, we see that in this picture of now the Lord is, is resurrected. And it, what it does is it causes in John's life this belief. John saw and understood that Jesus was resurrected. Peter wasn't there for the whole process, but John was. Peter, Peter, he's still going to, we'll see in the next chapter, even go back to the world. He's still got a little bit of seeing to do, if you will. He's going to come upon the Lord. At least the Lord is going to come to him, and he's going to see the Lord for who he is, and Peter is going to believe as well. 
Iden is the same word that occurs back in John chapter 14, verse 9, as Philip asked Jesus to demonstrate God. In verse 9 of chapter 14, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me, and the idea is understood and comprehended me, has seen, and that means understood and comprehended, the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And so you need to see the strength in that word. This is seeing and understanding the whole picture. For myself, I was involved in a religion that I had absolutely no relationship with God whatsoever. There, I, I saw surface. I never investigated, so I never knew Jesus Christ with understanding. I was just there. So what did the priest talk about in service today? I don't know. I mean, I was taught if I go to church, I'll go to heaven. So I just went in there and I endured for the hour. And once I was free, I was happy to be free for another week. But then came that time when I sat under the verse-by-verse teaching of the Word of God. And it wasn't just seen physically, but now through the Word of God, as it was explained to me, I started examining the evidence. And then came that one day when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I submitted my life to Christ. Why? Because I came to a conclusion. I put all of the evidence together. And again, the Word of God, the Word of God invites us to come and and to examine it. People a lot smarter than us have done an examination within the Scriptures, and nobody has ever been able to prove it false. And so as you look at the Scriptures, as you dig into the Scriptures, you see the reality of Messiah and who Messiah is and God's plan for salvation. Now, seeing is not believing, but believing is understanding. Understanding now who Christ is. God wants you to examine what you are asked to believe. He's given you a brain. Your brain, your ability to reason, your ability to think, has been given to you by God. Not to think of another way to heaven or manufacture another God, but we would consider all of the evidence of the scriptures as it has been given to us. That we would take the evidence of Jesus Christ that he has ascended to heaven and has sent the Holy Spirit. That we would examine the reality of Christ in our life and the power of the word of God. And what conclusion do you come to? What conclusion? The only conclusion, logical conclusion, that if you honestly examine all of these things is the reality of the truthfulness of the word of God and Christ that he was resurrected and ever lives to make intercession. And because of that, I believe. Because of that, you who are believers here tonight, you believe as well. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol. Sheol would be the abode or the place of the dead. Nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. These realities have been revealed to the psalmist, and the psalmist realized just as the Holy One or the Messiah will not seek corruption, because he won't, neither will I. Even as he is resurrected from the dead, so I will be resurrected from the dead as well. The psalmist realized, and he says, your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so 
because these things have been revealed to the psalmist, he bursts out in praise to God. Ought we not to praise God? As we examine these things and the reality of the truthfulness of God's word, that he has not left us in darkness, he has not left us in ignorance, but has given these things very plainly that really I have to go beyond reason in order to deny him. Now, the second way in which the risen Lord is revealed in the truthfulness of his resurrection is through his word as he calls out to his people. Looking at verses 11 through 18, again, we have another paragraph, a different thought. So we're leaving Peter and John behind, and now we're going back to Mary. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And so Mary, Mary was at the cross and saw what happened to Jesus. Jesus Jesus had cast out seven demons from this woman. He had altered her life. Now her Lord's body has been taken, at least she believes it has. Peter and John have left her there all along, all alone. And so just as they stooped down, now she stoops down and she looks in. And she's got these two messengers there. She's not alone, but you've got to keep in mind the last shred of hope that she has in her life as she saw the Lord crucified and now the body's gone. She's come to that edge of despair. This wasn't really what she had planned. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 says, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a description of Gentiles before the gospel came to the Gentiles. See, if you're a useless person, you can become useful. If you're a lost person, you can be shown the way. But without hope, without hope, you have absolutely nothing. Without hope, well, the problem is the, 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 the person who has been convinced that there is absolutely no hope in their life, their life is of no value to them anymore. Unfortunately, those who have committed suicide, at some point, they believe that there is no hope. I'm not saying Mary's at that point, but as she's sitting there, you have to be thinking, what would you be thinking? I, I put my trust in him. I believed in him. And I'm not saying she doesn't believe, but I was at the crucifixion and he died. Think of how powerful that death would be, seeing that death would be. And now I've come for this body and now the body's, it's as if everybody's taken everything from me. But the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and the relationship that we have with him, Jesus meets us in the midst of hopelessness. Matter of fact, it's where we are able to have any sort of real hope within our lives. 
verse 15, she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Again, resurrection, still not really at the forefront of her mind. In actuality, what she's asking this man for is, give me some closure here. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, probably the most powerful words she has ever heard, even more powerful than the day she was delivered from demons. There's Jesus, and it's not about seeing, because see, we can't go back to that tomb. Again, the tomb that I said that I saw in Israel, traditionally they say it is, but nobody really knows for sure. And so you can't really go back to the tomb and see if he's there or not there. Or the evidence, the evidence is long gone. I'm sure it's all deteriorated and all. But there's still the soft, still voice of the Lord that calls your name. Uh, there's a soft, still voice of the Lord that called my name so long ago. And it was just obvious who he was. In the midst of a lack of hope, God spoke Mary's name. Mary, and it just instantly, that's all he had to say. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, at that moment, the veil was taken away and she sees her Lord standing right before her. And the idea here is, is in the midst of her despair, God meets us in a very real and a very personal way. And you can't discount the power of that. Because there's power in there that just has transformed this woman. Because now she's going to, we're not going to get into it from verse 19 and on. But she's going to be excited and she's going to go tell people what she has seen. And, and really, you've got John and Peter, as I've said earlier. You can't have the same experience that they had. You, you can't, because again, we don't know the tomb. But with Mary, we all have had that same experience. We've all had the experience of the Lord calling our name in such a way that it was undeniable and it was irresistible for those of you who called Jesus Christ Lord. And Jesus, he's been teaching along these lines. In John chapter 10, verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. Mary's heard a voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It's exactly what we're seeing. In John chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee for him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And so, again, the Lord, the Lord has called us. We've heard his voice. It was so personal, and it was so real, and it was so overwhelming. And as we answered that call, we go and we follow him. And keep in mind the reality of the resurrection. Men and women still hear their voice called by the Lord today. This wasn't just a one-time occurrence with Mary back then. It continues to reverberate throughout all of humanity. I'm just going to close reading a section of Isaiah. You can close your Bibles and just listen to the, to the word. In chapter 43, verses 1 through 7, it says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, for he formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone 
who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Father, we just thank you for the rich word that you have given us. Even as we read these Old Testament words that were written specifically to Israel, but pertain to us as well. And we just see the personality of who you are and the reality of that personal relationship that you have given to us. And so, Father, I pray that we would rejoice. We would rejoice in the resurrection and all that it did and all that it proved and all that it continues to prove even today. And so, Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your graciousness as it was displayed in such a real way and continues to be so. I pray, Father, that we would be of the mindset, the way we heard your voice was somebody else speaking your word through the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that we would know and understand that as we speak your word, it's through the power of your Spirit. And, Lord, it's not us who they need to hear. It's you who they need to hear. And so, Father, as we are the avenue through which you speak, I pray, Father, that we would have the mind to open our mouths and to speak your word. And so, Father, we just thank you for this evening. We pray that you would bless us for coming. Watch over us as we go home. Bless our time of fellowship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Once again, just keep up in prayer. Vacation Bible School. It's a long week. It's a hot week. And... um, We're going to have many kids here and just pray that the Lord does a great work this coming week. Um, Also, as Sal announced, we're going to have a movie night. That's a week from this Sunday night. We're having movie night. And that night we're going to watch the movie, but we're also having the Taco Man come. Now, the Taco Man's coming before service. So if you come here at 6 o'clock, you're going to miss the tacos. Okay, so you've got to come at 5. We're starting the tacos at 5. We need a head count to try and get an idea on how many tacos that they need to, they need to bring. Um, there was something else. Oh, next Thursday night, our Thursday night service is going to be in this room amongst about 120 kids. And so we're not having our John study. We're having vacation Bible school. If you're able to come out and give us a hand, it would be greatly appreciated. God bless you guys. Good night.